What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors. Very grateful that y'all have tuned in with us for our online service. Before we get started in today's message, I want to pray for us. So Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that this moment will be meaningful for us. I pray that the words that we would hear from you, God, that they would lodge themselves in our hearts and they would move us towards faith. So bless us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So growing up in New York uh, as a teenager, armed with some very oversized jeans, a beeper and a do-rag and a Yankee fitted, my friends and I would hop on a train and go to Times Square. Most of the time we'd be out there trying to get uh, girls' phone numbers. And for a couple of years when I was a teenager, that was a great Friday night. Now, like every good New Yorker, with the exception of times that I went to go see a show on Broadway, I wouldn't be caught dead in Times Square. I did, however, make an exception four years ago. A good friend of mine told me that his son had never been to New York and uh, they would love to come to New York and see all the sights and sounds. And on the first night, they were thrilled to go to where? Times Square. So I'm a nice guy and I saw how excited he and his son were and they were staying with us and they didn't know their way around town. So I said, you know what? I'll I'll take them to Times Square. And we went and I pretended to be excited by the lights and the cameras and all the different uh, attractions going on. Um, and I went back home and I didn't come with them the second time they came to Times Square. I, that time I gave them a Metro card and sent them out on their own. And for that couple of days, my friend Ryan and his son Sam hung out with us and we had a pretty great time in New York. A couple of days ago, uh, I got a really terrible text message, a really sad text message from my, my friend Ryan that his son Sam, who has had a heart condition since he was young, uh, passed away in his sleep. Uh, the same Sam that, that held my, my son Jameson when he was just a baby, um, now they were putting him and planning to put him to rest. And the whole conversation devastated me and my heart went out to Ryan and his, and his wife, Cresta and their other son, just to hear about the devastation. And we got on the phone and we started talking about uh, Sam. And one of the things that I was blown away by and something that Ryan posted on his Facebook was Sam's personal mission statement. Sam didn't take life by its chances. Uh, he didn't just go with the flow. He lived on purpose. He lived with a mission. And here's, here's Sam's mission statement. To be a strong and courageous leader who's committed to defying the odds, loving others, and making a difference. Now, for a number of reasons, Sam's life was a life of overcoming obstacles. And his mission statement to defy the odds, love others, and make a difference was done. Well done, Sam. Now, I've been thinking about that a lot this whole past week about uh, just Sam and his mission statement and w this concept of living with a mission and what does it look like to live on mission? Now, a mission is defined as the assignment carried out with your life. What is the assignment that's being carried out with your life? Now, a lot of times organizations have missions. Uh, Renaissance has a mission that our goal is, and our goal and our mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other. And I pray that 200 years from now, we're doing just, just that. But I, then I started to think about me and my, and my personal mission. And I started to think about what is the thing that I'm accomplishing with my life? What is the assignment that I'm carrying out with my life? 
Now, I know my titles. I know that I'm a pastor. I know my, my titles of, of dad and uh, of, of husband, but what are the actual assignments that I'm carrying out with my life right now? Am I living on mission or am I distracted? Now, one of the things about a mission and a mission statement for your life is that it keeps you from being distracted and distractions are things that come to us all the time. But having a really clear mission with your life, having a really clear assignment for which you want to carry out in your life, man, that keeps you from being distracted. Now, one of the things I love about Renaissance is probably the best thing is the people and all of the different people I get to meet uh, as a part of our church. And every single week, we are one week closer to regathering um, and, and getting, getting back together in person. And I can't wait for that to happen when we can do that safely. But one of the most amazing things in the past, I've been, been just talking to people in the lobby about their life and their interests. And there are some really interesting people who have breezed through the doors at Renaissance. One of our OG couples, Tyler and Darby, man, they were at Renaissance from the very beginning, helping out, uh, doing setup and tear down and kids. And these, these were the days when our volunteers had like 17 different assignments. And Darby is one of the most incredible people that I've ever met. Uh, very, very disciplined. And we were talking and we realized that Darby was not just any old volunteer at Renaissance. She was an Ironman. Now, for the uninitiated, an Ironman is a triathlon, but it's not like any old triathlon. It starts off with a 2.4 mile swim. Now, as a reference point, if you were to stand in New York and look out at New Jersey across the George Washington Bridge, that's about eight tenths or nine tenths of a mile. So basically, the race starts with swimming like to New Jersey, then back to New York, and then back to Jersey again. And that's how it starts. Then you hop out of the water for a nice, leisurely 112-mile bike ride, like riding from here to from New York to Philadelphia. And then after you have swum 2.4 miles, and after you have biked 112 miles, then you run a full marathon. And she didn't just complete it, she won it. Now that is impressive. How could a human being so be so disciplined and focused and mentally tough to go through all of that? And probably an even greater accomplishment than Darby winning an Ironman was one time my wife and I saw her on uh, 117th and 8th in Harlem in front of LeVayne Cookies. And I was like, I felt better about myself. I was like, hey, we're not the only ones who do this. Darby does this. We're all humans. We all get weak at times. And we saw her in front of LeVayne and we were like, oh, you know, it's cool. Like we all do this. We all eat cookies. And if you've never had a LeVayne cookie, as soon as you're done today, go get one and then go by Sugar Hill and get a scoop of ice cream as well. Uh, Sunday calories don't count. If you're watching this on a Monday or Tuesday, then they do. But um, we saw her in front of LeVayne and then she said something that was even more impressive than winning an Ironman. She said, oh yeah, I bought this cookie for two days from now after the race. And I was like, you can just sit in, in your apartment next to a LeVayne cookie and just not touch it for two days. Now, what could make anyone that disciplined and focused and mentally tough to endure the agonies of an Iron Man or the, the challenges of not eating a Levain cookie that's right in front of you? It was this. She was living her life on a mission. What was it that made her wake up early in the morning to do two-a-days? What was it that kept her on a strict schedule? It was that she saw herself on that podium. And that mission changed everything about her life. The earliest followers of Jesus, they were not superhumans. They were not any different than you and I, 
But what was it about their lives that changed them? It wasn't that they were graduates of the most prestigious universities. It wasn't that they had a, an amazing lineage. They were so focused and mentally tough and had endured so much and had so much clarity about what they were doing because their life was surrounded around a mission. They knew the purpose for which their life existed. Now, my hope for today is as we are looking at these scriptures, we do a couple of things. One, I hope we get curious about what it is that God wants us to do with our life. I don't know that you're going to answer that question perfectly today, but I want, to, I want those wheels to start turning. And two, I want us to take a good, hard look in the mirror to evaluate what it is that we're actually living for right now. All of us, whether or not we like to admit it, uh, all of us are trying to carry out some assignment with our life. And sometimes it's for God and other times it's something that we're just doing just for ourselves. So each of us has a mission and everyone who has put their faith in Christ has a mission. All of us uh, have something that God is calling for us to do. Now, one of the things that is so dope about um, my job and something that I'm realizing is that my job really isn't to do ministry. Right. So like in American Christianity, we have this version of it that people who work for a church are in ministry and everyone else kind of just becomes a spectator or a consumer. But the reality of what God actually wants for you, you, every single person who has ever placed that faith in Christ, is that you are the one that is living your life on an assignment. You are living your life on mission. And there's a scripture in Ephesians 4 that says it so amazingly. It says, and God gave uh, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And this is why God gave the church pastors and, and teachers, it says, to equip the saints, it's not a word we use a lot anymore, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the, the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now, I want to make sure y'all caught that. The reason that, that anybody that is in ministry exists is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. In other words, I am the equipment manager. Like my job is to make sure that the floors are clean for other people to actually do the work. And wh what does that mean? That means that God has a call on your life. It might not be standing on a stage or these days standing in front of a camera to preach a sermon, but it's meaningful. And if we allow God's mission, God's call in our life to take a hold of us, it can make our life meaningful. Now, there's a couple of things I was thinking about this week. Like, man, how do I know what I'm actually carrying out with my life? Again, not my title, but the function of my life. Like, am I actually carrying out God's mission uh, for my life? And I started to think about, man, how would I determine what I'm actually living for right now? And the first thing I was thinking about were the things that I'm praying for. And I think the, the things that we pray for give us a window to what we're working towards. And here's a question that I read on Twitter, and it messed me up, and it, it might mess you up as well. The question was, if God were to answer all of your prayers, right? Like that movie where, like, Jim Carrey is, is God for a day or something, and he just hits yes to everybody's prayer, and, like, six million people win the lotto. Like, if God were to answer yes, like, going down the list, yes, 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 to all of your prayers, would it change the world, or would it just change you? Now, 
God tells us that we should be praying for things. We should be praying for him to move in our life in specific ways. And God is a good father that likes to give his children good gifts. So definitely you should be praying for things in your life. And God loves to answer those prayers. But if God were to answer all of your prayers, would it just change you or would it, would it change the world? Like what impact would it have on, on the society, on the, on the church? What, what meaningful, lasting impact would it have? And sometimes our prayers, man, they're just a window and they show us what we're actually living for. And sometimes we're not as even disciplined to pray. Sometimes it's not our prayer. Sometimes it's just the things that dominate our thoughts. It's the stuff that we're daydreaming about. It's the stuff that we're thinking about over and over and over again. And sometimes the things that we spend so much time thinking about, man, they're also a window into what we're actually living our life for. Now, sometimes it's not, it's not our prayers because maybe, maybe we're not so holy to pray or sometimes we're not daydreaming. Maybe we're too busy to daydream. But sometimes it's the things that we're complaining about, like the, the obstacles that just really bother us, the things that we're complaining about. Man, they show us what we're actually pursuing because they show us the obstacles in front of us. So whether it's the prayers, the thoughts, or the complaints, they, they show us a window into what we're actually pursuing in life. And sometimes it's a painful reality of what our life's mission is pursuing right now. And a lot of times it's not what God wants and has for us. Now, one of the dope things about scripture is that it gives us a portrait uh, it gives us accounts of people in scripture to show us what it's like for God to get a hold of someone, to call them, and to lead them in their lives. Now, your story is going to look very different from other people in scripture, but there are things about the story of, of Moses and Exodus that give us a glimpse of what it looks like to be called by God, what it looks like to live and to follow God, to be obedient, to, to take steps of, of faith in, in pursuing him, and to accept God's mission on our life, because here's the great danger in our lives. I think a lot of us are really smart and outgoing and have a lot of ambition. The great danger of many of you and the great danger for Jordan is not that I don't succeed in life. It's that I succeed at a bunch of things that don't matter. Peter Drucker once said, there's nothing quite so useless as doing with great efficiency something that should not be done at all. Now, this story of Moses in Exodus we're going to look at a couple of chapters from two to four and unpack a little bit about what it looked like for him to live out God's call on his life, to live on mission for God. So what are these things that we should be looking out for? Uh, there's not going to be a burning trash can on two fifth that's going to speak to you. If, there, if it is, make sure you put that joint on Instagram and tag me in it. Uh, but what are the things we should be looking for as a genuine interaction with the God of the Bible that let us know that he is leading us and we're following after his call and we're living on mission for him. I think the first thing that we should be looking out for are what are the godly burdens that we have, right? So what are the godly burdens that we have? If you were to rewind to Exodus 2, uh, we see that one of the things that defined Moses was the godly burden that God put inside of him before we even get to this uh, scenario in Exodus 3, that God speaks to him in the burning bush. And here's what it says in Exodus 2. It says, years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hid him in the sand. So what's going on here? Uh, the children of Israel, Moses' people, 
were enslaved by the Egyptians. And Moses now kind of had a, this dual citizenship. So Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh, but he himself was a children of uh, an Israelite. So Moses goes out on the block and he sees one of the Egyptians beating up one of his own people. And Moses is so outraged and in, enraged at what he's seeing that he actually takes matters into his, his own hands and he kills the Egyptian. Now, scripture writes this for a number of reasons. One, it's true. Two, uh, it warns us against the danger of taking matters into our own hands. And we'll see why in a, in a little bit. But three, it shows us the nature of, of, of Moses before God ever appeared to him in a burning bush to tell him to, uh, to go to Pharaoh and say, release my people. Before God ever appeared to Moses in a burning bush, God first lit Moses on fire. Before God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, God first lit Moses on fire. He let Moses see something that would enrage him, that would burden him. One of the things that I've wrestled with over the years are what are the things that truly burden me? Things that, man, keep me up at night. What are the godly burdens that God is putting in my life? A lot of times, these are the things that God puts in place to help define our mission. Because when we have a burden, not just something that we don't like, a burden, a deep burden, oftentimes that is something that helps us to endure the obstacles later in life and to push through. So the first thing that we see in Moses' life is this burden, this godly burden that God allowed him to have. And as we're thinking and praying through the assignment for which we are to carry out in our life, I want us to think about the godly burdens that he has given us to help shape us. Now, the second thing we see in Exodus is something that you see actually all throughout the Bible is Moses had to leave his previous comforts behind. Now, acceptance of the call of God for Moses' life and acceptance of the mission that God had for Moses meant that Moses would leave the life that he had just spent four decades building. Now, 40 years is a long time. It's not long enough for the Knicks to have won a championship, but it still is a very long time. And here's what we see in Exodus 3. It says, meanwhile, uh, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, if you read past this account of scripture too quickly, you might not notice all the things that are happening. Uh, you might miss uh, that Moses was sh shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro for 40 years. Now, one of the craziest things about uh, life is that no matter what it is, the longer we do something, it just kind of becomes more comfortable. I don't know if they even have this show on TV anymore, but hoarders, the people who would live in their apartment for like a decade and they would just be collecting the most random of things and their house would be so disgusting. And the people from the outside would come in and say like, how can anyone live like this? Like this place is an absolute pigsty. And the answer is no matter what it is, no matter how grotesque or challenging or bad any situation is, like the longer you're in it, it's just comfortable. Now, if that's true for the people who are living like hoarders, 
how much more true is it for us who live day-to-day interactions in, in normal day-to-day lives? Our rhythms serve as a source of comfort for us. Your block, your, your address, the place where you've lived, your home, your childhood home, these are comfortable things. And what we see in the story of Exodus is what God is calling for Moses to do is to leave his life that he had built for 40 years, which was comfortable. And, and leaving that life, that's an indicator of what it looks like to live on mission for God. That oftentimes what God wants for you exists outside of your comfort zones. One preacher said it like this, extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience outside of our comfort zones. How God is calling you right now in this moment, how you are trying to define and ascertain what it is God's mission on your life, God's call on your life. I don't know everything, but I can bet you that it's outside your comfort zone. So number one, it is the godly burdens in our life. Uh, Number two, it's leaving our comfort zones. And number three, the third thing I want to pluck out of this account in Exodus is oftentimes God's call for our life and God's mission for our life involves obstacles that are much greater than than we are. So if you think about the story of Exodus, man, it's almost hard to understand um, just how powerful a pharaoh was. So we live in a democracy. Arguably, we live in a democracy. Uh, but we, it's really hard for us to understand the power, not just of a monarchy, but of to live under the rule of a pharaoh who was not just a king with absolute rule, but he was also considered to be a god. And God tells Moses, this dude who's a shepherd, to go to the most powerful person in the known planet and tell him, to tell his, uh, to release his people. And here's what we see in the scripture in Exodus uh, three, it says, therefore go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of, out of Egypt? Now, one of the most, uh, one of the craziest assumptions that we have a lot of times is that God will never put more on us than we can bear or that God would like operate or call us to live like right at the level that we can meet the obstacles in front of us on our own. And man, that is just not true. What we see here in the life of of Moses and we see here in the text in Exodus is that God like intentionally put Moses on a path with his life, gave Moses a mission that involved an obstacle That was so much bigger than him, it didn't even make sense. And that's just not just Moses, that's all over the Bible. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 1. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened so that we would not trust in ourselves, but trust in God who raises the dead. Now, this is what Paul is saying. This is what it says in Exodus. This is what it says all over the Bible. God routinely puts men and women in positions with obstacles in front of them that they cannot rely on themselves, but they have to rely on God. As you're thinking and praying, God, what is it that I want to do? What is it that you want to do with my life? Man, don't, don't be stuck within your comfort zone. And for sure, 
Don't look at the obstacles and think to yourself that God can't want me to move in this direction with my life, that God can't want me to do this because of the obstacles. Trust in God. These things God puts in our lives intentionally sometimes so that we stop trusting in ourselves and we trust in him. So number one, our godly burdens are often a good indicator of where God is calling us and how God wants us to live our lives lives on mission. Number two, these things happen outside of our comfort zone. I've been rocking with Jesus for a long time, and I've never seen anyone fulfill God's call in their life inside their comfort zone. Number three, they involve obstacles which are much bigger than we are. And number four, God's mission for you is bigger than your past failure. Now, this one is amazing and very comforting for me uh, because I'm, I'm by no means perfect, and I know a lot of you would feel the same way. Now, here's a gospel truth that is amazing. You're not defined by your failures. You are not condemned by your failures. And God is bigger than your failures. Here's what it says in Exodus 4. After God gives Moses the call and the mission to go to Pharaoh, Moses says, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord didn't appear to you. The Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it on the ground, God said. So Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord God, the Lord of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So this is profound, and I, and I love this. God answers Moses' question with a question. So Moses says, God, what if they don't believe? And then God says, what's in your hand, Moses? Moses says, a staff. Now, this is really interesting. If you were to deconstruct this and pause for a second and just chew on this text for a little bit, and ask the text, ask the scripture some questions. Why did Moses have a staff in his hand? Because he was a shepherd. Well, why was Moses a shepherd? Because he was working for his father-in-law, Jethro. Well, how did Moses go from the house of Pharaoh to a shepherd working for his father-in-law? Well, he was on the run, and he, that was the best job he can get. Well, why was he on the run? Because he killed somebody in Exodus 2, what we saw earlier. When God told Moses and asked Moses what is in his hand, when Moses would pick up that staff, he would be reminded of all of his past failures, which led him to this point, that the greatest thing he can do with his life was to be a shepherd. Now, as you are thinking through and as you're praying through what is the mission that God has for your life, it is going to involve confronting your past, but God's grace is so much bigger than that, that our past doesn't define us or condemn us. But God's grace is, is truly a, enough for us. When God calls Moses and, and questions him and says, what's in your hand? It's a reckoning that Moses is having with his past, but it's a reminder that God's power is not limited by our failures. Now that is a, a beautiful gospel truth. God's power, God's calling your life is not limited by your failures. If that were the case, there would only be one person qualified for ministry and they actually crucified him 2,000 years ago. So number one, I want you to be thinking about what are your godly burdens. Number two, I want you to be committed to leave your comfort zone. Uh, number three, I want us thinking through and praying through what it looks like for us to not limit God with respect to the obstacles in our life. Number four, 
I don't want us focusing on our past failures and limitations. And number five, this is another one that's so good. Uh, God's mission for you is bigger than your own deficiencies. So one of the things that Michael Crawford said in the relationships workshop that was so monumentally helpful is that Christians are just so reductionistic that we put everything in a sin category. And I confess that I've done that myself, where either it's right or it's wrong. And not everything that limits us is a sin that we've committed. Sometimes we just have weaknesses or or wounds or, or damages that are just deficiencies in our life. And it's not sinful. It's not it's, it's not something that's separating us from God. We're just human and we have deficiencies and our own deficiencies don't limit what God can do in, in our lives. The wounds that have happened to you, the damages that have happened to you, your own natural weaknesses, man, none of these, they limit you, but they, they don't limit God. Here's what we see in the story of Exodus in uh, chapter four. So God tells Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to lead the greatest uh, uh departure that's ever happened in the history of the world. You and a bunch of ragtag people are going to overcome and conquer uh, the king and the, the greatest ruler in the world. And here's what Moses says. He replied to the Lord, Lord, I have never been eloquent either in the past or recently since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. The Lord said to him, who placed a mouth on humans? Who makes a person mute or deaf? Seeing or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you and speak, you, speak, and I will teach you what to say. Moses says, please, Lord, send someone else. Now, this is a picture into, into me and to all of the, the people out there with the um, audacity to dream about what God can do with your life, only to be confronted with your deficiencies somewhere down the line. And here's what we see about the story of Exodus. It is not the strong that God is after. It is not the perfect that God is after. It is a people, the men and the women, who are resolved to place their faith, their active faith, and to trust in God and to be willing to move in the direction that God calls them to do. All throughout the Bible, God does not call the strong, he calls the weak. Uh, one of my favorite preachers by name of Paul Tripp, he says it like this, Generally, it is not my weaknesses that get me into trouble. It is my delusions of strength. What God wants to do in your life, it's not limited by your deficiencies. Moses couldn't speak, and yet he was charged to go to the Pharaoh and tell him something. And what God is calling you to do in your life, the mission that God has for you in your life, is not something that you can accomplish on your own. As a matter of fact, our deficiencies sometimes are the things that make us usable by God. Paul says it like this. In 2 Corinthians 12, it's a scripture I've been meditating on for the past couple of weeks where Paul has this deficiency, this damage, this thorn in his flesh. And over and over again, he's pleading with God and he's asking God to remove it from him. And God says no. And God says, Paul, I'm not going to take it out because my grace is sufficient for you. And he says this, my power, my actualized power is perfected, made perfect and weakness. I wonder in my own life how, how often I've missed out on the perfect power of God because I was trying to operate in my own strength. I wonder how many of you are missing out on, the, on experiencing the perfect power of God because you're thinking more about your deficiencies than the power of God. And God gives us a promise. He says, my grace is enough. And what is this thing called grace? Well, grace is what it's all about. 
Grace is what takes someone who had no business being in front of a pharaoh. Grace is what takes a failure with plenty of mistakes and turns them into a leader. Grace is what takes someone who could never forgive themselves and shows them and leads them into a path of life where they finally feel whole and forgiven. Grace is a thing that doesn't leave you. Grace is a thing that Paul says in Philippians 1 and 6, that I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. Grace is the power in our life that doesn't just leave us as we were, but it's, it's the transforming, ongoing power of Jesus in our life. And if we will let it come into our lives, this uncomfortable, challenging grace that burdens us, that pushes us outside of our comfort zones, that makes us look at our past and leads us forward and causes us to rely on him, I think we might find what it is that God is calling us to do with our lives. Let me pray for us. So Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone watching that as they're thinking and praying about what it is that you have put in their heart uh, in, in their lives to do, Lord, even if you don't speak to them in a burning bush moment, that progressively as we go on, Lord, we would hear more and more what it is and be led in that direction and have more and more clarity of what that is. And Lord, I pray that you would burden us with those things that you want us to do. I pray that we would follow you outside of our comfort zones. I pray that we would not let our failures or our deficiencies limit us. And I pray that we would take the step of faith to follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.